Hello again. This is Jason Tackett. Welcome to another episode of A Father's Instruction. Today we are going to be discussing the subject of miracles. Can miracles happen? Have miracles happen? Why do we as Christians believe in the miraculous? Are we opposing science when we say that Christ rose from the grave? I hope you will enjoy this segment as we dive into this important subject. All right, so to hop right into the subject of today, which is which is miracles, uh, we take what Christ has said in Matthew chapter nine and verse twenty-six. Or he said, with God, all things are possible. Now, I know the immediate context of that particular scripture is regarding salvation, uh, particularly the salvation of the, of the rich. But in a broader application of that statement, we find the answer to the question of whether or not miracles are possible or even probable or have they happened or, or the, the answer to that question lies right there. And the Bible in and of itself is an account of the supernatural. It, it, it's an account of what God has done and I know that's a, a very kind of uh, uh, simple way of, of reducing the, the uh, scriptures, but it's true it, it, that God is, is, the, is the actor all throughout the scriptures, the one that is working salvation. And with God, all things are possible. And that is the starting point for the Christian. But at the same time, the idea of miracles is one of the expressed reasons why the unbelieving world rejects Christianity. And they reject the scriptures as a whole. And even we as Christians act embarrassed sometimes when miracles like the virgin birth or the parting of the Red Sea are, are breached in conversations with friends or, or with family or in the educational settings or that we find ourselves in. The, the Bible appears at face value to many to be filled with fantastic tales. We have Jonah being swallowed by the whale and Joshua making the sun stand still. It would appear on the surface that the Bible has, as one, as one lady told me as I was trying to tell her about Christ, uh, a lot more in common with Grimm's fairy tales or Greek mythology than, than, than Christians would care to admit. Now, that's not my belief. I'm just saying that that's the way that, that Christianity is seen in the eyes of many. One would challenge Christians as childish for believing in the validity of miracles in the scriptures and contradictory for rejecting the miracles spoken of in mythology or, or other places. 
So at face value, their criticism seems just. Does a sane person believe that the dead can rise and that people can walk through a sea on dry land or that men could walk on water? Is that, is that what a sane person believes is possible? Is it not rather rational, one would argue, to meet claims of the miraculous with, with incredulity or, or skepticism? Uh, should we not, as the atheist would say, seek for natural explanations? And are we... As they claim, when we when we claim that we need God to explain this or that, uh, uh, hiding behind a God of the gaps idea that if there is a gap in the understanding of what science can tell us, then we just say God instead, and we give up looking for natural explanations. Should we not be skeptical of claims of the supernatural or claims of the miraculous? And I'm ready to admit that I meet all claims of current miracles. If someone tells me a miracle have just happened, I meet it as a healthy skeptic. So do I contradict myself when I believe miracles that are recorded in the Bible? If I rightly reject the charlatan, on what grounds do I have warrant to accept the miracles of the Bible. However, on the other hand, and let me just go ahead and kind of play both sides here for a second, there seems to be a great need for the belief in miracles. It just seems to be a part of our psyche. It's just part of how we're made. Those who do not believe in the possibility of miracles have lost something essential to humanity, a sense of wonder and awe at reality. To believe that there is no mystery to existence is to believe that there is nothing greater than ourselves and our own reasoning and our own knowledge of the natural order. There is an abundance of evidence that miracles have occurred, and we're going to get into that uh, hopefully today if we have time. For instance, the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands at a juxtaposition of Western history. One history, historian actually said if the resurrection did not occur, then a similar event would need to be invented in order to explain the sudden change in Western thought and culture that found its immediate rise in Palestine after the death of Jesus of Nazareth. So while the truth of the resurrection is something that should be discussed separately, I, I think it's part of this overall discussion. It stands as a great example of miracles but is it true? The main issue with the subject of miracles is 
philosophical presuppositions. Uh, we could call presuppositions a whole lot of different things. I, I am proud to say that I am a presuppositionalist when it comes to, to, uh, to my school of thought as far as apologetics. We declare this to be true, and then we make that our start. We make that our starting point. Everybody's got starting points. Everybody's got things they assume to be true. Everybody's got biases, and the main issue with the subject of miracles is those very biases, those very presuppositions or assumptions. If one summarily dismisses the possibility of miracles, then they will dismiss all claims of miracles on a philosophical level despite whatever evidence there is that exists. The case for miracles is won or lost before there is even a claim of miracles made. So we all have our presuppositions. We all have our biases. And for the purpose of tonight's discussion, um, I'm not trying to defend the existence of all miracles. I'm not trying to, def- definitely not trying to defend the likes of Benny Hinn or 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 anything of that nature. I want to try to defend and begin, or begin to defend rather the recorded miracles of the scripture and to do so i'm going to focus on the resurrection of jesus christ ultimately i want to first before i can do that and if i if i don't run, get enough get to it tonight i'll definitely try to get to it next time but i think it's important first to look at the presuppositions philosophies that people hold. They cannot prove them, and they shape the way they view all claims, especially claims of the possibility of miracles. And then I want to ask the question, do miracles happen? And I want to look at miracles that are just common in nature. We see them all the time. And then I want to get into the resurrection of Jesus Christ specifically and, and things of that nature. So first, let's talk about the problem we have with presuppositions. All of us hold them. All of us have them. Regardless of how unbiased we may claim to be, we all have assumptions that we have when approaching any subject. Often those who have the power to define the terms win the argument. And we see a very powerful, very powerful uh, uh, opposition to the existence of miracles uh, in our postmodern world that we're living in. In generations past, scientists and philosophers had accepted the idea of the miraculous because they define the world much differently than philosophers and scientists do today. They defined the universe in such a way that allowed for the existence of the miraculous. 
in the current academic environment, a different set of presuppositions reign. The current academic environment uh, hoists up as a philosophy two things. Materialism, which I've probably wore you out talking about materialism, and naturalism. So what 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 are they? Just and we've talked about materialism before, but but uh, just in case um, you're listening for the first time, materialism is simply that philosophy that states that there is nothing that exists outside of the material universe. So all that exists is space, time, matter, energy, things of that nature. Uh, there, there, there is nothing else that exists. Naturalism is kind of married to materialism. If you're, you, if you have one, you have the other. But naturalism is this belief that all things that occur within the material universe are subject and caused by the laws of nature. So it's just this belief in the uniformity of natural causes, which we in and of ourselves don't have a problem with the universe. I can't talk. The uniformity of natural causes. It's true because it's a, we live in a created order. The Christian agrees with this idea although they don't agree that it's a created order, we see the uniformity of natural causes as part of the created order. But naturalism doesn't won't go that far. They say everything, including the universe itself, came into existence because of the laws of nature. It is a system of only material causes. So obviously we see the problem here as if, if you are if you are adamantly entrenched in a philosophy of materialism and naturalism miracles do not happen. So the problem with these presuppositions these assumptions, because they're not provable, I mean they're 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 outside of the realm of their own uh, of of their own criteria. You, but the problem with these presuppositionals are there's a lot of them. Chief among the problems is this: in a desire to define the universe as a closed system and therefore absent of all supernatural influence, they have defined all agency out of actual reality. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first, well, what do I mean by a closed system? And if you can just kind of picture in your mind for a second, you can write, on the, uh, you can write down on a piece of paper the universe, space, time, matter, energy, uh, you, me, anything that exists. And now you take those things and you draw a complete circle all around them. Everything is contained in that circle. 
nothing outside of that circle, they would say, could affect anything within the circle. That's what I mean by a closed system. And what they do, in the, but what materialism and naturalism does is they define all agency out of actual reality. If all that exists is the material universe and all things that occur in that material universe are based on natural law or caused by natural causes and so governed, then that reduces your consciousness, your, your freedom of will, your personality, your thoughts, everything, to mere illusion. Your thoughts are nothing more than just chemical reactions that are occurring in accordance with natural law, the law of cause and effect, like a pendulum swinging or, or something to the, the, that effect. It's an, it's an illusion. In any truly consistent material philosopher would say that all those things are illusions. They don't really exist. We know, though, that they do. We know in our experience that the idea that the universe is a closed system is false. So by getting rid of the possibility of miracles, the possibility of the supernatural, they got rid of themselves. They got rid of everything else, really, <laughs> to be honest with you, because all the reality that you and I experience is gone. The moment we engage in free thought, we prove the existence of the supernatural. We prove that this is not a closed system. And this is heightened by each free act of the will that gives expressions to those thoughts. Agency, free agency, exists contrary to the idea of a closed, automated system. And it's always made me really curious why all these material philosophers and, natural, and naturalists, why they bother writing books, which are free expressions of their agency, trying to teach others to believe in a system that denies the existence of, of free thought and everything else of that matter. It, it, it's a contradi contradiction in terms. I'm not now defending the existence of God, but I'm showing rather the folly of naturalism and materialism. I am a Christian. And as a Christian, I begin with my own set of presuppositions that the universe is an open system. It is open to the existence of and the acts of free agents or minds. Natural law predicts, for instance, that 
If a ball is dropped, the law of gravity will bring it to the ground. Okay? And this is a very simple, for instance, but that's just what happens in materialism and naturalism. A ball is dropped, the law of gravity brings it to the ground. It does not mean, when I speak of the natural laws here, it does not mean that an agent cannot intervene. A person may freely decide to catch the ball, interrupting natural law. On a grander scale, we believe that God, in whose image we are created, can act as a free agent in his own creation. We start even further back to regard the fact that God is not only able to intervene in the system as a free agent, but that he also created the system as a whole. That's the presupposition of the Bible. And I believe it to be a wise one. So, what, do I, what can I say to support these ideas? Well, the first chapter of Genesis teaches us two distinct ideas, among others. It teaches us that God created all things out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He spake it into existence. He gave it being. He freely chose to create something outside of himself, outside of his own existence. In the first verse of the Bible, God in his eternal being created all space, all time, all matter. And there is evidence to support this. This is not something that lacks support even from the scientific community that deny the existence of God. Edwin Hubble looked at his looked out at his of his telescope and saw what? All galaxies moving away from one another. Go back in time, what does that mean? Well, it means there was a beginning that we live in an expanded or expanding existence, which, by the way, was declared in the Scriptures 47 times before there was ever an Einstein, before there was ever Big Bang cosmology, before there was ever an Edwin Hubble or anything of that matter. It was already declared in the Scriptures. There was a beginning. They don't want there to be a beginning. That's why... Men like Stephen Hawking's work really hard to, to invent imaginary time and space and, and energy being eternal and infinite and, and things of that because they don't want there to be a beginning because that means the universe was caused by something outside of itself, which is what Christians have been saying all along. There is no valid reason for people to reject the idea of creation from nothing. No matter how much they want this universe that we live in 
to be eternal, which it can't be. If there was no beginning, then we would have never arrived at this moment. If you go back infinite amount of time backwards, you you never if you never arrive at the beginning, then you can't go forward and arrive here. Uh, but that, that's neither here nor there because that boggles my mind even thinking about it. But the universe arose out of what you would say in Big Bang cosmology, singularity. Expanded from that point of absolute beginning. In the beginning, God. On the other side of that singularity is something that is eternal. That's personal, or else we wouldn't be personal, like I've argued before. Is all-powerful. Only such can be the cause of all things we know. In the okay, is that is Big Bang cosmology and Edwin Hubble and and Einstein or, and and their prediction of a begin of an absolute beginning the only thing that we can say? No. Consider the Law of thermodynamics, the laws of thermodynamics. The first law, basically, in a nutshell, says energy and matter cannot be created or destroyed. So we live in a finished universe. Just like Genesis 2 that talked about the seventh day, God rested. It's there. But then the second law comes around and says all available energy within that universe is dissipating. The law of entropy, it's, it's decaying, it's, 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 it's becoming unusable. The universe has been like a clock that at one point in time was wound up. And now it's winding down to its conclusion. There was a beginning and the cause was God. The universe is not self-caused. That would be a contradiction. The universe is not uncaused. It's not eternal. It had a beginning. And you know what we call that? A miracle. It was caused by an agency outside of itself. But other than that idea, other than just what Genesis 1-1 says, the other idea present in the first chapter of Genesis is the idea of design. The six days of creation, that second phase of creating, God was designing all things. We don't believe in deism, that God created the world and just left it to itself to kind of kind of be governed by natural laws. No, the first six days of creation talk about God making distinctions, about God making designs, about God making separations, and all the earmarks of design are there. After God brought all things into existence from nothing, he inserted his design and his creative will upon that which was already 
created. He put design into the system. The second verse of Genesis presents us with a universe that is without form and void. And in six successive days of creation, God put beauty into it, goodness into it, design and form into it. He gave it purpose, and he gave it proportion and balance. He did so simply through his spoken word. Each successive day, as I've said before, began with, and God said, all design comes from information. There is information in the cell. There is information in the DNA. There is, there is information so complex that it could not have re- arisen from anything other than an intelligent source. There is, like we talked about with the anthropic principle, this fine-tuning to every atom that exists, which allows life, our life, to exist. There is fine-tuning to the fundamental forces like gravity and entropy and, and the expansion rate of the universe and everything. There is a careful and intentional precision set to everything. And a long list of things could be given here. Intentional design. God has worked in the system. A personal God. An intelligent God. All of these things tell us what the Bible has told us. There is not only a creator that made all things from nothing, but there is an omniscient and wonderful designer that put form and function into it. God acted in the beginning of creation. God continued to act after that first creative act that in the six days of creation. And then he rested from all of his creative work. But a Christian doesn't just stop there. Hebrews 1.3 says he's upholding all things by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 tells us of Christ who is God manifest in the flesh. That by him all things consist He has continued to work after the six days of creation. He is upholding all things. Christ said something very interesting in the book of John chapter 5. He said, My Father works hitherto, and I work. In the same way and in the same capacity as what he intended to mean by the and I work. But what was he saying? He's saying up to this very moment that I am speaking, my father is working. He is including, he is in continuing to work in all things, in all points of time. We believe God to be an active 
member, agent in, cre- in the continuance of creation. The presupposition of the naturalists and the material philosophers, they have to resort to the absurd to deny that there is a creator and a designer. Don't ever be intimidated by these people. Consider the absurdity of what they believe. They believe nothing is in charge. <laughs> they, they believe life came from non-life. They believe that, that everything came from nothing. They believe that that that's intelligence arose out of non-intelligence and and order arose out of disorder all by itself just randomly by natural causes it's not it's the absurd they must believe that nothing created all things by itself they must believe that life arose by chance they must believe that the material came from the immaterial all by itself they must believe that intelligence arose from non-intelligent sources that life came from non-life all these things they're absurd we stand on good ground as christians the presupposition of the christian is firmer than anything that they can say Therefore, in regards to miracles, we have this presupposition that is much greater than theirs. But there's also just miracles that are common to nature. We don't recognize them because we rarely think of them. And I doubt that I'll have time to get into the resurrection today, but I I do want to just give this to you to think about. If God exists as the creator, designer, and upholder of all things, then God is an agent that can and has and does act in the system. It's not a closed system, but a system that can be affected by free agency. When considering the existence of miracles, we cannot ignore the reality that all created things are already the products of miracles. Everything you see, everything you touch is miraculously there. They are the product of a God as a free agent creating, designing, upholding. Everything exists because God not only calls it to be, but continuing in a continuing fashion, rather, causes it to continue. He inserts him, he has inserted himself into all things. We look with awe at the beauty of creation in answer to this very truth that when we're looking at the sunset, we have someone to thank for that experience. The idea that all things arose out of chance is ludicrous. Darwinism takes a great leap of faith because Darwinism is basically just naturally what every materialist and naturalist must believe. 
But it takes this great leap of faith in proclaiming that life forms developed from simple to complex as a product of time and chance. And they ignore something, that there are these great barriers to this truth, and they believe it without any evidence other than the desire to tenaciously hold on to materialism and not wanting to let what one man said, a supernatural foot get into the door, not wanting the idea of God to creep into anything. For instance, in the realm of speciation, we we know what speciation is. Uh, there's an original variety, a kind of dog, as the scriptures talk about kinds, a wolf maybe, and from that wolf, many different kinds varieties of dogs have arisen. There's hundreds of them now, and some of them, most of them, <laughs> worthless. Um, don't get mad at me for saying that. But it's an empirical fact that each individual kind of animal has a built-in limits to speciation. Any good cattle breeder would tell you that. A horse may breed, be bred rather with a donkey to produce a mule but then the mule will not be able to pass its genes on because it'll be sterile. If speciation can occur, it is the product of purposeful and intelligent intervention. Even if Darwinism were true, it would be the product of a meaningful intervention by God. Therefore, everything is the product of miracles. Even within their own framework, it takes someone interjecting their intelligence to cause, to get through past those barriers that exist. Someone all-powerful. We know this intuitively. We, when we first hear a beating heart of a baby on an on a ultrasound, we know that there's something miraculous about that. Life. Or the first time we hold a baby in our arms after it's born, the same idea. They take their first breath, life, and we're like, wow. Miracles are everywhere. It, it extends to all of creation, even to our inner life. We are breathing. Take a breath. And our hearts are beating not because we're consciously trying to do it. Not because there are some kind of un, unspoken law that says our hearts must beat and we must breathe. Now I know there's a uh, certain amount of automation to that. But we're breathing and experiencing and our hearts are beating. It's a miracle that we're alive. We should look at all of this life and the entirety of reality as a miracle with a sense of awe and wonder. We should see it for what it is, the mysterious working of God. And that this isn't all. The 
Bible claims that God is not just the creator, designer, and upholder of all things, but he providentially cares for his creation. The Bible presents a God that causes it to rain on both the just and the unjust in Matthew 5.45. The good things that we enjoy are the products of God allowing the right circumstances to exist to allow for those good things to exist. We may hearken back again to the anthropic principle. The idea that the universe is fine-tuned or created in such a particular way in order for an observer to see it, the Bible has already declared that. He created the world to be inhabited, Isaiah 45, 18. We apply that to the good things that we experience. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He rightly claimed that the miracles of Christ on earth, such as the multiplying of bread, the turning of water into wine, are no more miraculous than the God of nature creating the environment in which bread can be produced and wine can be made. God, in his providential care, has created a world in which the seed can fall into the good, rich soil and drink of the water and break forth into grain, which, in, which is in turn fed by the rain until it grows to maturity. And then he provides wheat of the harvest that can be broken by the minds and bodies that he is empowered to make bread. So when I sit down for a meal, I am experiencing abundance of the miraculous. And so are you. I think that's why the man prayed and it caught my eye so much that he thanked God for making the food and making it taste so good. We're experiencing the miraculous when we, when we experience all that God has allowed to be produced and created the circumstances to be produced. Christ is said to have multiplied bread. He broke bread with the disciples, fed thousands. But God does that every single year. I like what Paul said, God gives the increase. There are miracles involved when we take part in the things that we need and the things that we desire. The loss of those good things, such as rain, was seen by generations past as signs of God's disfavor. When a drought came, they would begin to seek God. Now, we became so liberated from God in our own minds that we don't even think that God was the one that gave us those good things to start out with. Spiritual men of the past saw those things as a sign of God's disfavor when they were gone. And they recognized that it was God's favor that they exist.
that we enjoy them. God feeds the sparrows. He causes the bones to grow in the womb. He he numbers the hairs of our head. He is a great God involved in his creation. Jesus turning water into wine in an instant of time and God turning water into wine over the space of a season or longer are both equally miraculous. There is a miracle in the fact that the earth brings forth fruit of itself. That's the presupposition that we have as Christians. There's this wonderful God. There's this amazing, awesome God. And because of Him, we have life, we have breath, we have all things. Yes, we believe in the miraculous because we believe that there is a God. And once we accept that, once we grasp that, we have no problem with the possibility of miracles. So whether for good or bad, once we grasp the first verse of the scriptures, the first chapter of the scriptures, we end up with a God that is a free agent in this world and does the miraculous in creating, designing, and governing the world. Natural law is just simply the way God naturally does things. The natural ordering and governing of things by God is what we would call the uniformity of natural causes. And Moses once sang in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Well, I think that's a good start, stopping point for today. I hope you've enjoyed this, this presentation of the miraculous. And as we've seen that we live in a miraculous world because there is a God that created, designed, and governs all things. But that just talks about how God naturally does things. How God acts within the natural order. Hope you'll join us next time as we talk about the miraculous things, the things we all recognize to be miraculous that is different than the way God normally does things. Till next time, Lord bless.